Well, hey, everybody, man, it is so good to be back here with you. My name is Adam, and tonight we're going to be taking a look at something a little bit different. It's something that everybody experiences in their everyday lives, and something that, at least speaking for myself, something that I think all of us wish we were a little bit better at. Today, we're going to be addressing conflict and confrontation, and how the gospel shapes the way that we address difficult conversations and situations with the people around us. And man, I can recall one specific instance where I totally dropped the ball on this one. I was in the car with a good buddy of mine, and we were kind of debating God. We were talking about who God was and how he worked, and Man, I might have had the right intentions with this conversation, but I just totally messed up. I was getting impatient. We were talking over one another. We were interrupting, and I didn't even take the time to properly ask him if he was a Christian. And later in the in the conversation, towards the end, I learned that he didn't even believe in the Bible. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't even care about what the Bible had to say, and we were playing two different sports I was trying to debate him as if he were a Christian, when the reality is I hadn't even prayed before that conversation, and I hadn't even allowed God to take root in his life. All I had done there was sour his perception of the gospel, and it really helped me realize this after that conversation. As followers of Jesus, conflict is inevitable, whether it's inside or outside the church, and the way that we handle it actually reflects our view and perspective of the gospel, which leads us to our big idea tonight. It's this, the gospel transforms the way that we view conflict. And we're going to be looking at how Paul models how to handle conflict with other followers of Jesus in his interaction with Peter in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. And before we really dive into our text tonight, I'd like to pray for us while we begin. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much for just bringing us to this place. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the way that you've spoken to us. God, I pray that we would desire to want to know you more through your word, that we would spur one another on in community and accountability, God. And I'm just so excited to jump into this text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so let's get into our text. We'll start off here with verses 11 through 12. So starting off, verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So a little bit of context here. Cephas was a name given to Peter by Jesus. And we learned last week that Peter's job was to spread the gospel to the Jews while Paul was focusing on the Gentiles. And both of them were spreading the same message, that we've been set free from expectations and sin, that Jesus has paid the price for our sins that we can never pay ourselves. And a few of these things that we've been set free to came in the form of that old Jewish law. Part of the Jewish law restricted certain things in our diets. It restricted fellowship with some people, and it required circumcision. But since Jesus has fulfilled that old covenant, part of the gospel is that we don't have to get circumcised. We can have fellowship with whoever we want, and we can eat as much bacon as we want. But here's what happened with Peter. At first, Peter was cool with the Gentiles coming to faith and not observing that Jewish law because they'd all been set free from that, right? 
But as soon as these Jewish leaders came around, Peter switched up. These Jewish leaders were wanting to keep the Jews and Gentiles separate through the law. And they got into Peter's head. All of a sudden, Peter wanted to please them by going back on the gospel and going back to that old law. And he became scared to even associate with the Gentiles who weren't following that old law, refusing to eat with them out of fear that he would be judged from these new guys from James. And keep in mind, too, they're all believers. They have all placed their faith in Christ, but there's still separation. I think all of us have felt this kind of influence before. It's easy for our morals or our foundations to drop when we're trying to please people out of wanting to be popular or out of fear that someone won't like you. Man, I remember in middle school, that was one of my biggest problems. I would fall into all kinds of bad habits just because I wanted to try and appeal to what people around me were doing when in reality, all I had done was weaken my foundation in Christ by falling into sin. So when Paul finds out that Peter is being led astray and is leading others astray in the process, he opposes what Peter is doing. And we're going to be breaking down how Paul does this in a loving yet necessary fashion. Point number one is this. Paul's confrontation is done face to face. The first thing I want to look at here is this. Paul took the gospel seriously. And because Paul took the gospel seriously, he took confrontation with Peter seriously. He took that relationship seriously. Taking the gospel seriously, it means you're caring about how other people are representing Jesus in their actions. And when we call out others in their sin, we should approach it like it's an important issue because it is. Look back at verse 11 here. Paul opposed Peter because Peter stood condemned. Now that doesn't just mean Peter was condemned in front of that group of people. It means that Peter was condemned in front of God as well. And the reality is, Paul loved Peter too much to see him led away from God. And if that means an an uncomfortable confrontation has to happen, that's the way it is. And to be honest, I think a lot of us find it really easy to just avoid conflict because we don't want to be wrong, we don't want to ruin the relationship, things get weird. And one of the biggest temptations to fall into is when we experience conflict, we like to look for the easy way out of it. And I think one of the biggest ways this happens for us right now, and the easiest way for this to happen, is through our phones. Instead of going to a person when somebody is wrong, we can just shoot them a text or shoot a phone call. And what that does is something like this. Have any of you guys gone bowling before and had to use uh, the lane blockers, the guardrail, so your ball doesn't go into the gutter? The reason I bring this up, I just went a couple weeks ago with a couple of my best friends, and to be honest, probably should have had those blockers up. I'm not that good. But when we limit those hard conversations to not being in person, to just over the phone or just texting, it's like having emotional guardrails for our relationship. We're not letting anybody in. And in the process of trying to protect ourselves and protect our emotions, we actually damage the relationship. We, when we avoid all the hard stuff or showing our emotion, we are actually doing that person a disservice. If any of you have ever experienced a friendship or a relationship in which problems or conflicts are dealt with online or even through other people, you probably understand this pretty well. And what Paul is doing is this. He's showing us that caring about other people and really valuing a relationship in Christ means showing up in person. It displays a deeper level of care because you're sacrificing your time and your comfort to show that other person that your relationship means something. 
you'll find it's actually more uh, important and more beneficial to that relationship to do so. Facing conflict head-on and in-person may seem uncomfortable, but it shows to the other person that their life matters to you, and therefore it matters to God. Another big way that Paul handles conflict here is by acknowledging the effects that it had on Peter's community, which leads us to our next point. Number two, Paul's confrontation is done in community. And let's keep going on in verses 13 through 14 to understand this more. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So we learn here that Peter's actions have started this domino effect of sin to the people around them, to the point where even guys like Barnabas, who were leaders in the community, were being led astray from the ways of Jesus and into hypocrisy. This also led to just downright mistreatment of fellow believers in disunity. This wasn't something that had just affected Peter alone. An entire community was affected because Peter had messed up. And Paul is taking the time to call Peter out in front of that entire community. Not only can we learn from Peter's mistakes and hypocrisy here, we learn something very important in the way that Paul handles it. Paul is making it clear that we have influence over others in the way that we follow Jesus, and that we have a responsibility to represent Jesus in our actions, in our speech, and in our thoughts. To understand this idea more, I want to look at a passage that's also by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 that addresses our role in the gospel. 2 Corinthians five nineteen through 20 says this, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What I really want you to focus on here is that word ambassador in verse 20. An ambassador is someone who represents someone or something else. If you were a brand ambassador for Nike, for example, you'd represent the company by wearing all of Nike's clothes, getting other people to want to buy Nike, and you would live within the values of that company. In another way, a U.S. ambassador represents America when they were going to go to another country. And people understand what the U.S. is like through that person. In the same way, when Paul talks about us as Christ ambassadors, he's saying that we represent Christ in the way that we think, talk, and act. And when people in your community, whether that be sports, whether it be school, work, or family, when they look at you as a Christian, it influences the perception they have of Jesus. So Paul is seeing Peter in his place of influence, leading people away from the truth of what Jesus is actually like. And Paul opposes Peter in the community he had influenced because Paul not only cares about Peter's life, he cares about the truth of Jesus and how he's represented. This moment is really an incredible example for our own lives, not only to consider how we're living and if it is representing Jesus well, but to keep each other accountable in the same way. This is why it's so important to keep each other accountable, to do life in community, because ultimately we're all going to mess up in some way. And here's the kicker. 
it's pretty hard for us to understand our own faults a lot of the time. We can be very, very blind to our own sin. And I know this from experience. Here's a funny story, man. So back in January, I was in this big house in Seattle with a bunch of guys, and unfortunately, all of us got COVID. And I lost my smell and my taste. What I didn't know is that that would last for seven months. It was crazy. And so for seven months, I couldn't smell, I couldn't taste anything. And man, one night I was making this big taco salad. I was putting rice in there, I was putting beans and chicken and cheese and chips and lettuce and tomato and all this amazing stuff. I spent so long, I threw it in the microwave, I got it out and I'm starting to eat it. And guys start to come downstairs and they're like, ugh, what is that smell? And more guys come down and they're like, Adam, what are you eating? Dude, that rice is disgusting. And they go back They go back to the fridge where the rice I had gotten was, and they smell it, and it, it was like a week and a half old. It was disgusting. It was stinking up the entire place. And the worst thing is, I had no idea of knowing. I was completely blind. I had no smell or taste. How, how could I have known? And the thing is, Before I got sick, I had to throw away that entire meal. I had to settle for something else. But that's the way that we are with our sins. We're not great when it comes to being self-aware and our own faults. And that's why confrontation and accountability are so necessary in our lives to correct us when we can't see what's wrong. Here's what's really important too. The people who corrected me, they didn't do it out of a place of disrespect or hate. They were loving and patient with me. They'd let me know that, man, if I'd continued with that, I would be throwing up that night. And a really important part of correction is this. We have to be able to come beside one another lovingly to spur each other on in our faith. And in these last few verses, Paul is going to explain his intentions out of love for correcting Peter. And it leads us to our final point. Point number three, Paul's confrontation is done out of a love for the gospel. Let's finish out with verses 15 through 16 to understand Paul's intentions for correcting Peter. Verse 15, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So let's try and remember what Peter got caught up with in the start. Peter was going back to the old law out of fear from the Jewish leaders and was relying on those expectations and those works and following rules to try and be justified before God. And when I say justified, here's what that means. It's a fancy word in the Greek that Paul uses called dikaiō. And it really is a legal term. It's used in court settings. In this context, though, Paul is using it to say that although our sins are making, it des- making us deserving of punishment, we are declared innocent because of our faith that comes through Jesus Christ. What Paul is pointing out here is this. Works of the law won't ever be enough to make you innocent or justify you because there's no amount of good works that would make up for our sinful state. The only reason we're able to be saved to eternal life with God is through faith in Jesus and what he has done for us already. Putting faith in your own works is a statement to God that you don't think he's enough to save you. 
And doing all the right things that a, a good Christian might do is really meaningless if the heart is not behind it. And Paul had to come and correct Peter out of this way of thinking because a faith in your own works and in that old law will ultimately lead to separation with God. It puts a block between you and the Father. So Paul cares about maintaining the truth of the gospel and it leads him to caring about Peter's life and eternal salvation. His love for God had inspired a love for people and is the reason for his desire to oppose Peter in the way he was living. This is what real love looks like. Ultimately, if we love God, we are loving people as well. And the gospel affects our interactions with those people in the way that we give and we receive correction. And it makes yourself need to ask these questions. If you feel like someone around you need to change because you think they're in the wrong, is it because you want to see them walking with Jesus? Or is it because you just think that you're better than them and you want to puff yourself up? In the same way, when someone criticizes you, when you are confronted about a way that you've been representing Jesus, do you respond lovingly or do you just assume that they're wrong? Answering those questions is difficult. Analyzing your own heart is one of the most difficult things to do. But I want to end by saying that conflict is one of the most uncomfortable, difficult things to experience in the moment, but if handled in a loving manner, can be one of the most necessary and rewarding experiences in your walk with the Lord. And God uses it to build you up, to build others up, and to build the church. So thank you guys so much for sticking around for this message. I hope that the Lord uses it in your life. Thanks, guys. Take care.